Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest is Dr. Anthony Salerno. Anthony is a New York State licensed psychologist with over 30 years of public mental health experience in adult inpatient and outpatient clinical and administrative roles. He has been a leader in systems change efforts to promote the adoption of evidence-based practices with the New York State Office of Mental Health. In addition to direct individual and group treatment services to clients, Anthony has developed multiple programs, including the Wellness Self-Management. This program was designed for adults with serious mental illness, and it received the SAMHSA Science to Service Award in 2010. Currently, Anthony is the Innovation and Implementation Officer at the McSilver Institute and is a Senior Consultant with the National Council of Mental Wellness in Washington, D.C. Most recently, Anthony created a resiliency-building and trauma-informed psychoeducation curriculum called BRIGHT, which stands for Building Resilient Individuals Through Empowerment. We're excited to have Anthony with us today as we discuss resiliency and his BRIGHT program. Anthony, so nice to have you. Thanks for being with us. Great to be here, Graham. Great to have you. Hey, as we get started here, I love our listeners to understand what was going on in your life that drew you into this work around resiliency. Well, the way I'd like to look at it in over these years, you know, I've been in the field for 49 years, Graham. Nice. And when I first started out working in, a, in an outpatient program, particularly for individuals with serious mental illness, a lot of them coming out of state hospitals, I kind of developed a certain lens. And I like to think of it as the lens that we all use in order to both view our, the people we, we serve, the people we help, but ourselves. And I must tell you, my lens at that time emphasized illness, disease, disorder, and dysfunction. And that's what I basically was concerned about, folks coming out of state hospitals in particular. And uh, pretty much every way in which I interpreted or understood the needs and the problems and challenges of folks, I kind of put into the bucket of the psychiatric problem. So yeah. I was mostly concerned with, is this person a 294.3 or is this a 194.6? And it was very much dominated by that. And it also influenced how I interacted with the clients, yeah. but it also influenced the clients, their perception of themselves, because I, re I reinforced certain things, I inquired into certain things and not into others. So I had that lens for quite a time. And yeah. then, you know, what's happened in the late 1990s with the adverse childhood experiences work mm -hmm. is there was a, like another change in a lens that we ought to pay a lot of attention to the adversity that people experience in their lives. And I have to tell you, I didn't have that. When I was working with clients, I wasn't really inquiring as to what kinds of things have happened to you that may be contributing to your current difficulties. We kind of just put that into the, the bucket of this is a, a, a neurophysiological psychiatric condition, meds is the issue, psychosocial supports, but exploring and helping my clients hmm. to understand the degree to which adversity may have been a contributing factor, never got there. Yeah. And, you know, as, as a recovering Catholic, Graham, I feel really badly about that. I, you know, I kind of look back and say, I could have been much more helpful to my clients if I had opened up that conversation. So going on from there, when I started to work with the National Council about uh, 13 years ago, my job was to develop national learning communities on trauma-informed care. 
And I was, and as I was doing that, working with organizations, really emphasizing the role that adversity can play in a person's overall health and well-being, it hit me about maybe five, six years ago. You know, this is beginning to feel a lot like I felt back in the old days. My lens was still, while it wasn't neurophysiological disorder, it was still life events that contributed to symptoms, dysfunction, and it had that feel to me that I was constantly in this lens of either trauma or dysfunction and disorder. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? There's another side to this. And that's where the issue of resilience came in. So I became very interested in learning as much as I could about this whole field of resilience. And now what I sort of suggest is, or the way I would approach things is a trifocal lens. I need to kind of appreciate and understand the devastating impact of serious mental illness. I also need to understand and explore the degree to which adversity contributes to current difficulties. But what I also need to explore, which often gets downplayed, is what are the strengths that this person brings to the situation? That is really good. You know, so easy to get caught up in, you know, what we refer to at times as the medical model. It's almost a secondary and tertiary prevention model. Once someone's already experiencing an illness, now we're going to be going to treat it. And it's easy to get caught up in that. And, and what I love that you're saying is that if we have that lens, you know, it's typically an unconscious and usually unintended experience that we're interacting from what's wrong with you. And we're conveying to the patient what's wrong with me, you know, and they're looking at that as a dysfunctional thing. But what you're saying here is maybe instead of what's wrong with you, what happened to you? Yeah. And what on. happened to you. And also, unless you have a resiliency lens, you are going to miss a lot of the strengths that the person brings to the situation yes. because your lens is, is focused on, okay, well, so what bad things have happened to you? And then how, how do those bad things result in problems that you're experiencing? So when you focus on that, what it conveys to the client is, gee, things must be pretty bad. You yeah. know, my entire life seems to be focused, my identity, my self-concept, because we yeah. can reinforce a certain self-concept. And we do it by the questions we decide to ask. You bet. Behavior that we decide to reinforce and acknowledge, and especially missing what we may accept or we may believe is just kind yeah. of expected behavior. For example, people with serious mental illness, when they showed up to an appointment, I just thought to myself, well, of course you should show up at an appointment. That's what a sort of like normal, you know, kind of expectations in a community. What I didn't appreciate, how much courage and energy and effort it took. Absolutely. Show up. Yeah. The resilience that the person was demonstrating, which I just sort of ignored and just accepted as, well, these are sort of the basic expectations I would have of someone and not recognizing and appreciating the effort that it takes for many folks to just show up yeah. and hang in there. And I could have acknowledged that. I could have reinforced that. I could have strengthened that person's self-concept, you know, as, as I am capable there are things I'm doing that they, uh, they don't even appreciate as being signs of strength. And I think resilience opens up that whole conversation. I want to unpack resilience in just a moment. But what you're also saying at, at the beginning of this is that unknowingly, as we're talking, maybe with a medical model or, or maybe some things that we used to use as questions of inquiry and trying to get some diagnostic clarity, is we're conveying that you're broken. There's, there's exactly. something wrong with you. We're conveying something that this is you being broken. And the patient, like you're saying, gets to see themselves as broken. And 
And we kind of become myopic in that, and that becomes our sole definition. And we don't, we're not looking at some other things. And what you're raising here is that, you know, the, the, the adversity piece, everybody reacts differently to stressful situations and how you respond to a crisis, you know, depends on our background and our development, our past experiences, our support systems, even, even our cultural, you know, upbringings, as well as, as our perception and our attitudes. And this is what you're kind of leaning into right now, our perceptions and our attitudes about our own perceived control, whether it's internal locus of control or external locus right. of control. And each of us has our own reactions that's unique to us. And we don't oftentimes go down and take a look at that. But the good news, like you're saying, is that resiliency is something that we can develop. It's a set of skills to manage our life stressors and improve our emotional and our physical well-being. And I know that you're, and what you're emphasizing right now, I know you work from a strength-based perspective, grounding a person in their personal strengths and external resources. And, and you're emphasizing what's strong in them, not what's wrong with them. I love that on your website. I kind of grabbed yeah, that right there. That's a cool emphasis right there. Not what's strong in you, even to get to the appointment. We we very oftentimes miss that piece or just the phone call that they make the very first time to say, hey, I need some help. Can you help me? That's significant. So you're working with patients here, Anthony, to, to help them that despite their circumstances, there's always areas in their lives that they can control, even if it's just to be in your waiting room and then in your office, sitting in your chair. Talk about the importance here of identifying one's personal strengths and the opportunity one has to learn themselves about the practical skills that they may have here already yeah. that's helping them effectively cope with present and maybe even future life challenges. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Well, one thing I do want to say, like related to this lens idea and then go into, so what did we learn? What does the resiliency literature tell yeah. us, you know, about the kinds of things that individuals do that yeah. is likely to sustain their effortful coping, successful yeah. effortful coping with situations. And it really comes down to, you know, the writer Anais Nin, who wrote in the 1920s and 30s, there was a line uh, that she had in one of her writings that I think is one of the most profound things in the area of psychology. And you could fit it into a fortune cookie. And it was, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Yes. And I love that. That's a very profound idea that humans kind of like really filter reality through their own particular perception and their own lens. And so when you start to have a lens where you appreciate what we mean by strengths and resiliency, the whole literature, and there's oh, so many resiliency measures and there's still you know debates around what is resilience and all of that. But one of the first things that comes up and is very powerful is the connection to other people, healthy and strong social relationships is not just a nice thing to have. It is absolutely critical. It's essential. And, and one of the things that I emphasize in my training and supervision of folks is to explore very deeply the degree to which a person is connected to others. Because if they are not, if there's isolation, loneliness, right, that is a very serious vulnerability. You with bet. respect to an individual being able to cope effectively with the, the, the typical kind of life challenges you have, that there are many other issues. Having a sense of humor, can you believe it, Graham? Having a sense of humor, as it turns out, is a resiliency strength. That's our highest, that, that's, that's actually one of our highest defense mechanisms, humor. It, it absolutely it's, is. Yeah, it's our and, highest one. Yeah, and now you say, well, you know, humor, people go through some horrible things. But individuals who can kind of appreciate the absurdity of life sometimes, 
right. and kind of poke fun, at least some aspects of it, that that really makes, can make a big difference. Another very important part of like resilience, and this one I think is, a, is kind of challenging, and it relates to the definition of, of resilience. So one, you know, very, very common to talk about bouncing back, right? This mm -hmm. notion of you have a stressor, you have a challenge, you have adversity, it kind of disrupts you in a lot of ways, psychologically disrupting, functionally disrupting, and you want to recover from that process and you kind of go back to where you were. You were stretched, but you didn't break, right? And you kind of bounce back. The other aspect, which I think is, is important, maybe more so, is the idea of bouncing forward. Yes. Is that that requires, again, a resiliency lens, instead of just viewing it as these horrible things happen to you, we wish, of course, they never did happen to you. And it's just terrible. And really the focus now is to just recover from that negative experience. A other part of the, the, the lens is exploring and discussing with someone, was there anything that they learned through this process? Any mm -hmm. lessons, any change in their outlook about life that can actually have a positive contribution? Any way that they tried to deal with it through creative kind of activities that also led the person to make some decisions in their lives. I think of a social work student when I was teaching a class at the NYU School of Social Work, and I had distributed the ACE questionnaire to folks just to give them an idea of what that research was about. Well, yeah. this particular student decided to fill it out. I didn't ask folks to fill it out. She just decided, I'll fill it out for myself. And then she came to me after class and she says, you know, uh, Dr. Salerno, I, I've, I decided to fill this out for myself. I have nine out of the 10 oh my. childhood adversities. And that, yeah. that ended up in a 20 minute, 30 minute discussion where it really was a horrendous kind of like experience in her life. Uh, I mean, all the psychiatric hospitalizations, the substance use, all the, the kind of adversities and consequences that's associated with severe uh, adversity in life. But what she also said to me was really amazing. She said, you know, and she was doing very well in School of Social Work. Uh, she says, I've decided to devote my life to helping especially little girls who mm -hmm. have gone through and have experienced some of these difficulties I had. She brought meaning to that event. Right. The absence of meaning is sometimes as difficult to deal with as the actual adversity itself. When you have a sense of, I discovered nothing through this. I right. didn't learn through this. I didn't develop any greater empathy towards others. I didn't decide on a particular life role path based on that kind of experience. I didn't right. develop any creative activities or approaches to deal with it that I can now see value in. The absence of meaning, and they talk about that in the literature, the idea of meaning making. I think yes. that's a pretty important thing. And to not be fearful of starting that conversation with somebody to right. explore the degree to which there has actually been some growth through adversity. And I think that that's an important concept that I think often escapes folks out there. I really appreciate that lens as well, because, you know, we could say that resilience is actually ordinary, meaning it's not extraordinary. It's, it's commonly, dis, you know, demonstrated. This gal is in a master's level program, it sounds like. She yeah. went through all those nine of the 10 and she's still there. She had to do something along the way, but it's not oftentimes recognized. And if we're using the old, you know, the kind of the old lens, well, how are you broken? Then, then, then you tend to stay broken and small. But what you get to do with this young lady, you know, is you say, how did you, how did you get here? What were you doing that was such a resilience? And what kind of right. meaning did you make? And what you're also saying too, you know, we think of, you know, Kubler-Ross's, you know, 
stages of death and dying, and it can be applied to a number of things. And just use it as, as a quick model. You know, we, we get down to this place of acceptance after going through anger and depression right. and acceptance. But there's this other level that they've added here where there's a transcendent piece to it, where you actually transcend your experiences. You're not defined by them, but you you are influenced by them and you actually transcend them. It's almost like the Navy SEALs too. You were talking about this idea of bounce. And I like what you're saying is bouncing forward. You know, the Navy SEALs put put guys and gals through some really horrendous things. And and they think that they are this kind of person when they come in. And this is these are my abilities. And then they push them a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And they thought that this wasn't who I was here, but really who I have the capacity to be is really this person here. And they never saw it before until they right. did it. And what you're emphasizing that I love is that folks have a lot more bounce, strength, resilience in themselves than they oftentimes really see. And when we begin to kind of hold this up to them, we get to mirror, the, you know, the, the, the mirroring relationship growing up is so essential. And the mirroring relationship in a therapeutic relationship is even sometimes more essential because we right. get to hold up a healthy mirror. And now we're saying, take a look at yourself. And they're kind of going, wow, I never, I never saw this. But thank you for pointing it out. I'm, I'm larger and stronger and more capable than I thought I was. Yes. I love this approach. No, a- absolutely. You know, you make it a very, very good point. This issue of, of, of meaning, finding, you know, the strengths. And when you said normal, what you really mean is, and, so, and the people in the resiliency literature, many would say that it's the default. What you should yes. expect is resilience. Exactly. That's the default. Yeah. And if yeah. there isn't, then there are some factors that may be contributing and disrupting what is a kind of built-in human response to challenge. Very well said. That we're really yes. Doing. So that's I think a really good point uh, that you've uh, that you've emphasized. Absolutely. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. Yeah, and what you're saying right here is that maybe they haven't had you know, some of the people in their lives to hold this up. Maybe, you know, with the breakdown of the family, with the breakdown of, you know, things, community organizations that we've typically had and the, and the isolation that's taking place for a number of reasons. Yeah. People don't have these mirrors. People don't have this community. They don't have these kinds of relationships that can kind of buoy them up or say, hey, let's hang in there. Let's, let's, see, let's see how we can grow. You know, being expectant around adverse, difficult times. And as, as we're talking about this, you're talking about the ability to adapt well and we might even say it's just inherently there, but we need people around us to do it. So we can, we can adapt well in the face of adversity or trauma or tragedy. This gal in your classroom did, and you're holding that up to her and saying, hey, you're doing a great job. Yeah, and no, she's I, devoting her life to this through creating meaning through it. Absolutely. You know, folks at Columbia, Dr. Yehuda, she has an interesting way of, of describing, you know, what is resilience from her perspective. 
And, and, and basically the point she takes, she actually used the analogy of the Timex watch. And for uh-huh. some generations remember that. But the idea that the, the great advertisement was that the, the watch took a, a, a licking, but it kept on, <laughs> right? right? And, and her view is that even if I see patients who have serious PTSD symptoms, that is not the failure of resilience. The, the failure is when a person gets stuck, when you stop ticking. As really long good. as, the, and there are many individuals who are really struggling with some very, very serious emotional difficulties, and yet they get up in the morning and they kind of go to work or they take care of kids or whatever it might be. And it's sort of like just recognizing that is appreciating that, right? That through those sort of like difficulties, well, folks don't need to be symptom-free. Is no. What happens if, if you define resilience as the person has, is no longer experiencing some ser- serious difficulties, then you're going to wait around when to a situation that's li- less likely to occur and you don't enter into the conversation of helping the person to recognize strengths. In many ways, you know, this is in healthcare too. It's not as much the treatment gets you better, but many physicians would say, it's your health that gets you better. It's your strengths that get you better. You know, right. our, our treatments can only go so far, but if you have a healthy lifestyle, if you have healthy nutrition, to, to appreciate and recognize is that it's your strengths that get you better, not your weaknesses. And how do we emphasize that, identify, and then build our services around the strengths as opposed around deficits? That's another implication of having a resiliency lens. This is such a beautiful reframe that, that you're bringing in here. This idea, these, these things we can control, but oftentimes, if we don't have significant others in our lives helping us see it this way, we, we just don't inherently know to look at these things that way. Right. And this capacity to make, you know, realistic plans and take steps to carrying them out or developing a positive view of oneself or the ability to, like you're saying, to see their strengths and their abilities, even out of adverse times. Somehow, basically what you're saying to them, you've survived all of your worst days. Do you realize that? You right. survived right. all of your worst days yes, and look at you. Yeah. How'd you do that? You know, so you're, you're helping them develop this. Now, I also know that in, part of this is learning how to identify these things and teach these things. And that's part of what you do through your BRIGHT program, building resilience, individuals yeah. through empowerment. Talk yeah. to us about this program and your well, lessons. This is, this is what sort of happened. So when I mentioned to you about six years ago, getting this kind of an epiphany, why it took so long, I don't know. And then I said, okay, it must be out there. There's a whole set of trauma treatments, right? There's a whole set of them out there. Yeah. But I said, there must be some resiliency focus, resiliency building curriculum, programs, strategies, all that kind of thing. So I went out to kind of like, look, and I didn't find anything. So I said, what am I going to do now? Because I think this is really important. So I tried to see if I could get some sponsorship, but it didn't work out. So I turned to my wife one morning. It was like Sunday. I said, you know, Louise, I'm going to do it myself. And she said, well, rather than do that, how about we go out to brunch? (laughs) Well, I know, I know. I said, but I just, you know, sometimes I get this, like I'm in the twilight of my career, Graham, and it's going to be my last oomph in my life. And it really is around promoting, discussing, sharing, and keeping the conversation around resilience going. And so, you know, I I have a a history of using structured educational material because I do believe that part of almost all effective treatment is imparting information to an individual so that they can make more informed decisions about their lives. 
And if you haven't got that information, you don't have power. Yeah. You know who has power? People who do have that information. And I think there's a lot of the work that we do, especially with individual serious mental illness, where very much they're reinforced to be in a very passive type of position and don't have the information and strategies to take greater charge of one's own treatment. So I had developed material called Wellness Self-Management in New York State, and that's still going on for after like 15 years. People are still using that. And I thought to myself, perhaps I can build on that approach and develop something okay. that's focused on resilience building. I developed it into a 24-lesson program that reflects a lot of what the literature was suggesting that would be important in terms of building resilience. So the kind of information that people need to know. If you don't know it, right, you don't have that information or knowledge, and you don't have strategies to actually yeah. do anything with it, you're in a weakened position. The last thing people who are struggling with serious mental health issues need is to be in a disempowered state. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with a lot of consumer advocacy groups in New York State over the many years. And that's one thing that I have certainly learned. Uh, the perspective is a really supportive system is one that empowers us to make informed decisions about our own health and well-being. So I decided yeah. to just put it together. It took me about three years. And I've been training folks around uh, the country on really using these materials in a way to impart information. Because think, think of it, Graham. How would you impart information about, you know, what we mean by resilience? What are some of resilience strengths? If you were to try to do it through conversation, it would be very hard. Verbal information processing is often not the strongest kind of cognitive capacity of people, particularly with serious mental health problems. But that's what, I mean, we call it psychotherapy and counseling, but it's conversation, right? And so if you want to impart information, I used to be a high school teacher and a school counselor. Yeah. And I, I wish I had kind of kept that role perspective in my head that I could have applied when I went to more of a clinical psychologist type of like setting. And so I developed these materials. I did some initial piloting in New York City. Organizations were willing to, to, to give it a try. And I met with all the clients and the staff through focus groups. And I remember one particular situation. It was a men's shelter. And it was for men who serious mental health, substance use, and also criminal justice involvement. And there was both a peer and a professional who ran this group. It could be done in a group. Bright program can be as a group with a select group of sessions. You can pick and choose which lessons or topics you think are really pertinent, or you can do it with individuals and you can pick again and choose which aspects make most sense because it's a resource. It's not a prescriptive treatment intervention. It's a resource that practitioners, organizations, and clients use right. in order to increase their uh, ability to really make informed decisions, have more power. So when I was interviewing this focus group of nine men, and one man turns and says, well, let me just tell you something here. And these were, you know, these were pretty tough guys, right? Who've been through a lot. Says, you know, I've, I, I, there's a lot of stuff I went through in my life. And this guy was probably in his mid forties. He said, I never told one therapist about any of it. I never told anybody about what I was going through. But you know, with this group, I told my brothers about things that had happened to me that I was so upset about, feel so ashamed about, but I never told anybody. And, and the professional counselor and the therapist and the peer were kind of really reinforcing that of sometimes these structured educational programs 
create a degree of safety and comfort and the cohesion that builds the safety, because I think that's, that's extremely important, safety and control. People who've had been traumatized, the two things that you cannot compromise is safety and a sense of control. And the material was designed to promote safety and a sense of control. You, we don't, nobody pushes you. You go at a pace that feels right for you. You're never going to feel pressured or coerced, even in a subtle way, to say or do anything that you don't feel comfortable with. That created the kind of opportunity for a man like this to be able to share with, interesting, he called them his brothers in this particular you know, group. And that just reinforced for me, like maybe we're on the right track with this. I wasn't sure when I did the pilot whether or not folks were going to really respond. And folks responded really very well. So that's a lot of my work these days with the National Council is offering uh, trainings to organizations around how to, if you're one of your goals, if one of your goals is to engage folks in learning about the role of trauma and adversity in life, to strengthening their resilience, to impart that information, if that's part of your work, then Bright could be a, a helpful resource in that work rather than having to kind of figure this stuff out yourself because the workforce is pretty burdened as it is. Yeah. And to expect them to kind of figure this stuff out is going to be quite a challenge for folks. And, and I love training you know, practitioners, investing more in the workforce out there. They need tools. They need resources. They need a really practical tools uh, that they can apply and doesn't require an excessive amount of burden on their learning, on their application. And the Bright provides you with a lot of guidance. And uh, so far, I've been really gratified by the response of folks. I can certainly imagine you would be. These 24 lessons have some of the greatest topic areas. Again, things that we can learn. Sometimes things people are already doing that they don't recognize that they right. can enhance and even grow more. This capacity, again, for setting realistic goals, communication, you know, problem-solving abilities, the capacity to manage strong feelings and you know impulses and to be in control, that kind of our, our EQ type things. And these are things that we can develop that I really think are so applicable and so easily attainable through this program, the way that you so nicely laid it out. Really, really nicely done. Well, what you'll notice, Graham, is that every lesson is designed to pull for a person's strengths. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm kind of obsessed with strengths. Yeah. And I think that we as a profession ought to be obsessed with strengths. Yes. I, I'm sure you remember, Graham, that in a case study or case conference, the really smarty pants psychologist was the one who could find a, a, a disorder that other people missed. You know, oh, you guys missed this right. uh, disorder. You guys missed the compulsive obsessive features. Oh, you guys missed the yeah. narcissism. But it wasn't, it wasn't very common for a psychologist to say, hey, guys, let me tell you about the 10 strengths that, we, that you guys exactly. missed in this. So I exactly. think the system has shaped our lens. You know, I'm kind of a psychological optometrist these days, Graham, uh -huh. of really corrective lenses. And the system shapes our lens. Our training shapes our lens. Our lens shapes us. Our lens shapes our clients. And we need to sort of appreciate that. And what could help us to develop a lens that gets a little close, closer to reality, right? Yeah. So that we see things as they are rather than as we are. That is definitely going to be your legacy. This guy was the psychological optometrist that came in and kind of, kind of gave us a different prescription here. And I think you're so right around, you know, the research around reinforcement is huge. And those yeah. things that we reinforce, those things that we reward, 
tend to get repeated, but we're so used to catching people being bad. You know, you, we see our kids, you know, hey, what are you doing? So we correct them. But right. if you can, unless there's something, unless they're going towards a brick wall or doing something really egregious, we say, hey, and we can catch them being good. Yeah. They're going to respond to whatever we reinforce. So, hey, you guys are playing so well with each other and just deposit that, you know, let it go. Or what an awesome job this team has done, you know, in creating this product. Well done. Those things that we reinforce are going to get repeated. And those things that are not so ideal. If we don't give them attention, unless they really require some specific, you know, attention, they're going to extinguish themselves because yes. they're going to be, they're going to be replaced with all of these strengths that you're describing and these abilities where someone can grow into this person that maybe they hadn't fully realized before that they had the potential to do. And that's what you're emphasizing so beautifully with this lens. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that it, it really comes, it really comes down to that. And, and it also is this certain mindset that you bring to the work. So one of the things that I emphasize is to appreciate that each person is doing the best they can in light of their biological vulnerabilities, in light of their life circumstances, in light of the resources that they have or don't have, and which is important to mention because resilience is not just an internal factor. Yes. Uh, people, resilience is very much affected by the presence or absence of supports and resources uh, in the environment for the individual, which I think is an important, it's a very important issue to, to, to recognize that yeah. we're not just talking about what resides in, inside a person. I get into spirited conversations with folks who say, Tony, I don't like this resilience stuff. I said, well, how come? I said, because you kind of, you can end up blaming the victim, right? And I say, I get that. But to recognize resilience, that it's a, it's a much more comprehensive factor that is a very clear interplay between uh, a person's personal characteristics and strengths and the resources and supports in an environment. And they need to be taken together. Uh, otherwise, you may run the risk of viewing resilience as, as exclusively an internal factor, and it is not. Right. right. No, there's a, there's a lot of layers to it. And what I like that you're saying here too, and it, this is a really key piece, you know, with our adverse experiences in life, and typically, you know, th those happen before, you know, the majority of that before they're 18. That's what the ACEs focuses on. We, we don't, you know, we don't have oftentimes in our, in, in our environments, people to right size those experiences. So what, what do we tend to do? We haven't got a frontal lobe that's about planning, judgment, reasoning, organization, all those things that mm -hmm. kind of help us understand what's going on. So we tend to be, as we're growing up pretty emotionally, you know, driven by most things. And so when something bad happens, what do kids do? Well, since they're kind of egocentric, they tend to create meaning that this must be about who I am. It's a shame-based, fear-based message. Oh, right. And what you're doing here with the resilience is you're replacing shame and a negative self-meaning with a sense of, hey, you survived those things. Those things happened to you. You weren't responsible for them, but you somehow survived them. Look at that strength. And so when these things didn't happen, you know, shame is about who we are, not what we did. Right. Th these things happen because of who I am. And you're saying, no, 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 no. These things happened to you. Yeah. But look through your resilience, how you survived them. Look at those strengths. And this... It's almost like there's going to be this emergence of, I would imagine, a, a different sense of who that person is, replacing that shame with, with a sense of, wow, I, I actually am pretty empowered, aren't I? Yeah. And, it, and it, you know what it does? It ensures that we don't get into a lot of judgment. It's, a, it, it's inoculating against that, isn't it? Yeah, it is inoculating against that. It's really understanding. Yeah. It's, it's a lens that says, look, this person in front of me is doing the best they can in light of biological yeah. vulnerabilities, yeah. life circumstances, resources. All of the things, right? 
that uh, that what their home educational background has has been the coping strategies. It's kind of like an acceptance of the individual, right? They're doing the best they can in light of all of these factors. But now they have me. Now yes. I'm now part of the system, and recognizing what is it that I can do that can be a support because I'm not inconsequential here. I've now entered that person's life sphere, yes. and and that what it does is. You're less likely to judge. And I, as a physician, remember a physician saying, I think of addiction differently now. This is a person who got educated around trauma and resilience. I said, I kind of look at it more like it's kind of ritualized, compulsive comfort seeking. Comfort seeking? Now, do you yeah. think about drug use as comfort seeking or yes. as a really completely understandable strategy to cope what makes the experience as overwhelming anxiety or distress or whatever it might be is to kind of like recognize that yeah. even the things that are dysfunctional may represent the person's best effort in right. light of their life circumstance, best effort to manage unmanageable or overwhelming experience. That brings, I think, a sense of a, a level of compassion, a yes. non-judgmental attitude. And I think that the client experiences that a sense of acceptance, even in the presence of behavior or, you know, strategies that are, you know, may seem to work in the short run, but really are kind of disastrous in the long run. I want the, the client to go away saying, I don't know what it is with this Dr. Salerno or this Dr. Taylor, but they seem to really want to understand my perspective. They really want to understand. And they also don't seem to judge me very much. Even when I do, I screw up stuff. Yes. And you know what? I can tell them anything and their face is not going to grimace with disapproval. Right. You know, that that takes a lens of acceptance and resiliency, I think, supports that kind of lens. Yeah, that's well said. Well said. I love that idea of comfort seeking. And what you're getting them to see now is maybe they can seek true and lasting comfort in their ability to be resilient and what they survived and to see that that's where their comfort gets to come from now within internal, not external. Exactly. I think you and I could go on all afternoon here today, but so. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to shape this a little bit here. So let's, let's give our listeners some opportunity to follow up with you and your bright program when they're done listening for today. How can people get in, in touch with you? Anthony? Yeah. The best thing is to actually go to my website, which is okay. bright resources. It's B R I T E resources.com. And they'll get a, you know, a, a sense of what the program is. They can check out some of the sample lessons. Uh, I actually am adding additional lessons because right. I get requests. One organization worked with folks in criminal justice and they said, hey, Dr. Salerno, you think you could put together something for folks yeah. who've been involved in prisons and in jails so that they can appreciate or recognize oh, the degree to which some of their behavior that's associated with criminal justice involvement may have its roots in some adversity. And then yes. also, what is the resilience part of it in terms of people integrating back in the community? So I created a lesson around that. So I keep adding lessons to the website. And then also it's been translated into Spanish recently. And so that will be available as well. So going to that website will pretty much give people a really full understanding of what it is. And then they can decide whether or not there's something for them and they would like to explore and discuss further. Very good. As I'm listening today, I know you've been a little hard on yourself around this idea of I'm only coming to this now. And I get as a, as a clinician, 
that oftentimes we're cutting our teeth in our profession, wishing we had known then what we know now and kind of, Absolutely. you know, retrospectively, we kind of go, boy, this yeah. could have been helpful. But you know what? What a wonderful legacy you're living or leaving rather in well, living also, but leaving, you know, in, in this twilight of your career. What a what a great piece to be li- leaving us, you know, as clinicians and the our, the our future colleagues behind us coming up in this wonderful curriculum. So really nicely done. And uh, congrats on that. It's been great to be with you today, Anthony. Terrific. I really enjoyed this a lot, Grant. And and also some of of your comments has gotten me to think a little bit more about this as well. So I appreciate that. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for dropping by and joining Anthony and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and an archive of all of our other resources and episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. Thanks again for being with us on the show. And we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.